Welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and today we would like to discuss what we see in the response to the coronavirus as it continues to spread around the U.S. and the world. Looking particularly at the way parts of our government have responded, how aspects of the media have responded, and how the stock market has responded. Just a quick reminder, we released a Culture Series episode going in on the 48 Laws of Power last week, so please check that out if you haven't already. Now, joining me today is the man who put a gag order on all discussions of his college basketball career that have not been pre-approved by him, Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, where are the tapes? Uh, that's the shortest discussion in history, so I just want to make sure we didn't waste anyone's time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, we were recording this on March 2nd, 2020, and I want to start our conversation by going in on the response to the continued emergence of the coronavirus. It looks scary. You know, it, it, it seems to be everywhere, popping up, you know, even where people haven't traveled. Um, we've, been, we've seen reports of infection all over the world. The death toll continues to rise. And more concerning is that reliable information seems to be becoming more difficult to obtain. So, and, and also the stock market is, is continuing to drop like a rock. Uh, so, Tunde, is this all a Democratic Party and media hoax to make Donald Trump look bad? Um, apparently, yeah. This is uh, it's pretty... Um pretty telling when you can be that good at creating a whole virus that's a pandemic just to, uh, you know, get at your political opponent. Uh, no, obviously it's not. Um, but- yeah, I mean, and then I raise it like that only <laughs> to, to point out the ridiculousness of that. But that's uh, where I want to start, actually, is with uh, suggestions like that or throwing that out. Like, why is our what's going on with the leadership? Have they lost their minds? Like, we, we need measured and real response to this, not the blame game. Um, and what have you seen in the response to where it's about saving face right now? You know, it's not like, not even more more about dealing with it, but just saving face or trying to deflect blame for um, what's something like this. I think, I think um, look, it's, I'm very glad that I've really uh, changed how I deal with the media landscape in terms of social media and cable news over the past few months. So I haven't, Honestly, I haven't seen a lot of kind of the this kind of uh, what I would look say is kind of the, the the small smallness of kind of this this type of rhetoric out there. Um, but I have I've seen it on my news feed on on the iPad a bit, so I know it's out there. And to me, it, it goes back to uh, fear. You know, um, this to me is the first true event of this administration that is really out of their control, um, and that. They, they don't know what the narrative like is going to be two, three days from now. And, and they don't seem to have been prepared for something like this. Meaning, from my understanding, both the Bush administration and the Obama administrations had specific experts set up, almost like a pandemic department. Um, and when the Trump administration came into office, they felt that wasn't necessary. So um, they removed this kind of group of experts that could deal with these things. And so I think it's another example that certain things we've seen, um, I think specifically from this administration, more so than at least guys, you know, like you and I in our lifetime have seen. I'm not saying that this hasn't happened in our country's past in terms of leadership, but, you know, you and I are in our early 40s, so you figure our memories start around the Reagan administration. Mm -hmm. And I think every single administration, that one up until the last one, um, no matter what people thought about the politics of those presidents or their administrations or how they did things, um, everybody we've lived under has had some a, a, a certain level of competence and seriousness when it came to just the organization of their administration. Again, not not to say to, good, to agree or disagree with specific policies or politics. Yeah, and I think this is the first one that everyone says, you know. Well, and again, what, what made Donald Trump so good in certain areas, again, might be a weakness in others. And I think what some people liked a lot about kind of this, the small business mentality, even though he had, you know, he's a billionaire and he had a, he had a, he had a successful business, it was still a small family-run business. You know, the, the, the word was that the Trump um, organization had about 10 employees and is a very top-down, you know, he's used to dominating and controlling a lot. And I think when you have a system this big as the United States and, the whole, of course, the whole world, and you've got 8 billion people out there and viruses that can cross borders and, and all that, I mean, you know, this is a big deal, and it takes working with a lot of experts and resources and, and other nations. And 
it looks like what was once a strength um, to kind of come in wielding a bat and all that um, may be a weakness in this type of event. And I think that going down to the kind of name calling and, and the, and the, you know, this kind of thing saying that this is like a hoax and all that, it just reminds me of that. This is kind of back to the old playbook of trying to deflect. Yeah. And, but I think it's deflection out of fear. Like, you know, they really don't know what to do. Um, and, you know, maybe well, it's just, knee jerk. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, and so, that is the, the programmed response. If something happens, blame your opponent. Um, you know, I mean, and the, the biggest thing I have, the biggest problem I have with that is more so that the blaming is, is seems to take priority over the getting a solid plan together, uh, the blaming, the trying to control information, things like that. Like I, I see this, you know, this is kind of you, you, you get what you pay for, so to speak. You get what you vote for. Now, granted, I understand he got less votes than Hillary Clinton, but you know, the way our system is set up with the Electoral College, he won enough states to to win the presidency. But that's the rules. Well, of the remember, game. they the were of- illegal voters, so they don't count. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's the, the, the that those rules were set up beforehand. So you know, everybody was playing by those same rules. So I don't think that. I mean, he he won an election, and he won an election in large part. Um, because he made people feel a certain way about themselves or their place in the country or their, you know, their stratification, so to speak. Um, it wasn't because he was overly competent, um, because he was able to have deep thought on issues and, and understand complex problems and deal with them. It was because he had simple solutions to complex problems, whether or not those simple solutions would work. Now, in large part, or a lot of times in our society, you know, our, the way our government's set up, the way there's so much redundancy, um, things can kind of move on autopilot. Like, I, I do agree with you that this is the first time they're dealing with something that is out of their control. More so meaning, though, that this is the first time they're dealing with a crisis that wasn't their own, that they didn't ask for. You know, a lot of the problems they've dealt with were issues where they Correct. wanted to create a problem and they already had played out how they wanted to play it out before the problem even started. In this case, they have to respond to what's happening around them, which takes a different level of mental flexibility. So that goes to your point also in terms of the strengths of if I want to disrupt something and break something, I'm in control there and I'm good at that versus now something is coming to me breaking and I need to try to prevent it from, from falling apart. That's a completely different skill set. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, if you elect a guy because he tells you that all of the problems are on your, the people you don't like, that they're your enemies, like if you, if you, if you say, hey, we, we would like to, to engage in some or ha- have a demagogue us, um, then you can't turn around and be surprised when that person's ill-equipped to deal with the seriousness of a situation and they're just doing demagogue stuff, you know, saying, oh, it's just them. It's, it's not us, it's them. And, you know, what we're doing is perfect and, and blaming everybody else. And so to me, it, it, it's, it's natural. I mean, Donald Trump has shown us the whole time that he only can see things through the lens of how it affects him one way or the other. He doesn't, he's not able to digest issues outside of that context. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I was surprised by how quickly we got there. Um, you know, clearly the, 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 what's going on, the pressures are getting, are, are being felt now much more so than maybe a month ago and rightfully so. But again, I would hope this energy would be directed more towards finding a way to deal with this from a thought, using the best minds in the country, not, you know, a, a, a vice president who doesn't really even believe in science, you know, to, to lead a task force that's going to help us, but like actually have people who know how to deal with this stuff because it, it's still no guarantee what you're doing is going to work, but at least you give yourself a good shot. Yeah. I mean, look, this is what we got here. Um, and it, it, I think it who was it? Ileana Van Sant, the, the famous author, the late author who said, when people show you who tell you who they are, believe them or show you yeah. who they are, believe them. I mean, yeah. this is not a surprise. I remember during the election, you know, Donald Trump had that attitude, right? I remember him saying on stage, I alone can fix this. I, you know, everything's me. So, you know, again, what made him, what was, what was a strength of his in one moment, you know, is now um, potentially, this isn't over yet, but could potentially be the weakness. Um, And, and you're right. I mean, this, it looks like they're scrambling. Uh, The joke I made earlier about illegal voters was on purpose because I think this is also a lot about credibility. Um, yeah. yeah, I wanted to, actually, I wanted to go there next. Three, yeah. yeah, almost four years now, or right around four, three, 
Well, he got elected January of seven. I mean, sorry, inaugurated January of seventeen. So let's call it three years exactly of, um, you know, just straight up mistruths and lies. I mean, everyone can acknowledge that, even his his ardent supporters. Um, so the 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 problem is is that when you have that type of record with the public, and then something serious. This is where I think this is a little bit different moment, and I think this is why they're scrambling and they know this. This has to do with health, and this is scary. And it doesn't help that, of course, the media and the headlines like ramp that up. Uh, so, the and then and then the fact that today everybody's tuned in and glued to a screen more than ever in human history. So, you've got all these factors coming in, and like we talked about already, that this is totally out of their doing and out of their control and out of their making. So they don't have the the they've got to do a certain level of mental gymnastics, as you say that I guess they hadn't prepared for and their muscles aren't in shape for, you know? Yeah. Um, and it reminded me, I was thinking about it, um, you know, George Bush, he was, his, his poll numbers were dropping like crazy by the summer of 01. Um, I, think, I think a lot of Republicans, you know, weren't really sure what he was about. And of course, Democrats didn't like him because he was Republican. Um, then 9-11 happened. And I think a week or two after 9-11, his approval rating was at 90%. And no matter what we all ended up thinking about George W. Bush, I think as Americans, everybody, or you know, let's say 90%, <laughs> um, really felt something in terms of positive when we saw him, I think it was two or three days after the towers came down on the smoking rubble with his arm around that firefighter with mm -hmm. the bullhorn, and he was like, you know, basically the guys that knocked down these buildings are going to hear us, you know, and I just remember having that patriotic moment, like, hell yeah, we're going to go get those MFers, you know, and this, that's my president right there, you know? Well, and but I, see, there's, but that shows you the difference here. No, that's um, what I was like, getting at, oh, that, okay. that, yeah. that, that, that in this, like, that's why I thought about it last night is because mm -hmm. I thought we're not seeing that in this moment, even though obviously it's a different type of uh, catastrophe or, or stress or drama, um, is still something where, you know, I didn't, I haven't felt yet that this is something that the president's taken serious like that. And I think your point about starting with the, the comments he made at a rally a few days ago about it being a hoax, it's interesting to me because, you know, in, in the morning that day, it was a, last Friday, he's in the Oval Office um, being very serious and presidential, you know, talking about this pandemic and, and or, you know, almost pandemic, how whatever is defined as. And then like 10 hours later, he's at a rally in South Carolina calling it a hoax by the Democrats. So I think, again, this I'm pretty neutral on him as a human being. The point is, is that this is where I think most Americans potentially can start to break with him in terms of really saying, okay, that's the type of leadership I want. Because when it's all about poking your opponent in the eye, that stuff can kind of be fun. But now people are getting scared about something that's serious, which is a virus that they don't really know about. And like you said, we now have, there's a new term that I've learned called an infodemic, which is basically a pandemic of information. So you've also got so much misinformation out there um, and just, that well, makes people more so much more information fearful. and dis mis yeah. misinformation, disinformation, that you can't tell what's up, right up from down. Um, I wanted to respond to something you said, actually, yep. um, and I'll let you do, to finish up on the, the, the information pandemic. But um, I, I think that one of the one of the roads we don't want to go down in, in terms of rewriting history or, you know, recalling history is I'm sure, you know, George W. Bush wasn't overly popular, but I don't think the Democrat, the, the people who were in the Democratic Party at the time didn't like him simply because he was a Republican. Um, I think that there, he, he campaigned on and tried to implement things that, pe that were unpopular to certain groups of people, and many of those being Democrats, and so you don't like him generally because of his policies. I don't think we go back to, oh, well, anyone who's a Republican, I dislike. Anyone who's a Democrat, I like. Um, the person who's really, well, that, that's, that's picked up more recently. Um, it, it's, it's ebbed and flowed. You know, the, the extreme partisanship has ebbed and flowed throughout the country's history, but um, it's not that simple. Donald Trump tries to make it that simple, and that's part of the things we're, we're, that we're raising here now, where it's just... And, and if George Bush would have got up there at that, when, that moment you're talking about and said, hey, see if the Democrats would have just done what I said, this would have never happened, there would have been a different <laughs> response oh, from the course. country. Yeah. You know, and so 
the, the, his response brought the country together and said, hey, we're going to get together here and we're going to make something happen. Now, granted, their choice of action, again, not because of the party he was in, but the choice of action did, did divide people again. In some ways, along party lines, and in some ways, not along party lines. There were many libertarian Republicans that weren't happy about going and spending a bunch of money on on, on endless wars. But you know, the the actual thing of we together are going to come together and make this happen, make some make a response happen. People were generally behind, and that's not how Trump is approaching this. And so, I think you draw a good contrast there. You know, like if if, if, if I, I can only, I can say it, I emphasize it. If Bush would have got up there and blamed the Democrats for nine eleven. The country wouldn't have been ninety, you know, ninety something percent behind him after that point. You know, it would have been, it would have been dividing the country, trying to yeah. point each other against each other. And that's what Donald Trump does. You know, like, and he's shown no other, no, no way to to, to do anything else, or no evidence that he can I'm do things is, anyway. That's what I'm saying. That what 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 has been a strength potentially. I mean, let's see how this plays out. We're still well, it's a relative strength, it. yeah. though. It's it, because well, it, it's not a strength for the country. Well, but. What I mean is what what has been his strength, right, which which has been his M.O. of this kind of bravado, you know, I'm going to come in with a sledgehammer and always poking my opponent in the eye and all that. I mean, you know, that may turn to be a weakness over this over during times of crisis like this. And because I think, you know, and let's see how they play themselves out. I, I don't think they'll play themselves any different because they haven't really shown that much flexibility in, in their approach to things. But. Well, I, I, I just, don't think you can term it, though, as strength and weakness. Like, the result's going to be the same regardless. I think it's just whether or not it'll be effective. Like, no, but what just I mean because is, it wasn't like, a strength of his when he divides the country and he has a negative approval rating. Well, and I'm, I'm saying rating. you and I don't see it as a strength to divide a country. What I'm saying is it has proven to be a strength for him to ascend to the presidency and, and be there, right? I mean, he by dividing the country enough— he survived the Mueller report. He survived an impeachment. I mean, it's for him, it's been a winning That's what strategy. I said, effective. That's what, I, I'm that's, saying effective. Like, a strength well, is well, not just necessarily allow you to, to withstand attacks. Like, you would think he would... But either way, let's not yeah, get lost so that's in my point. Game. Like, he, this style of his has helped him be where he's at and survive it. Whether you yeah, want to call it just, a strength or not is... is yeah. I'll just say effective. You know, yeah, it's we, been we effective. can just, def, you know, argue about the definition of the word yeah. strength there, but... But it, but you get what I'm saying is that yeah. right now that same exact mo might prove to be the weakness in the Achilles heel, and it's interesting because, you know, this is this is why I just find just a lot of things sometimes like this fascinating in terms of world events and history and how things turn. Because a lot of times as human beings, when when we don't have answers for things, we we like to fill the void with some deep conspiracy or something real negative. But sometimes it is that simple. You know, there's a virus that's that's scaring a lot of people. And again, what once worked for the leadership of this country in their in terms of their style may not work in this type of moment because it's just a different moment. And they need to now pivot in a certain way. And whether they do or not may mean their survival in the next election. I mean, this and that's my point. Like you, you sit here and say, and we've 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 uh, criticized um, Democrats for how they've they've gone about their strategy in um, opposing this administration and all this kind of stuff, and and they're looking for weaknesses, and and it's like boom, this might be the moment that is, it's not brought about by the president's opponents, you know, it's not brought about by anything. It's just a, it's a, it's a kind of a force of nature, and so, um, but I, and that's why I think this time's a bit different uh, because I think, like the George W. Bush example, what made that successful. Um, and I think he was genuine. I'm not saying he he was he was kind of trying to be manipulating success. Well, he felt an honor. He felt a duty to the country. You know, so like I'm saying, the, the, like, it's not and, felt. And, and I think that's what. But and that's a good way to say it. I think that's what everybody felt, whether they liked Bush or not. That was a moment where he was being presidential and he wasn't being divisive. And 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 I think that that that's what people want to see when they're scared in a certain sense in this way. So. See, I don't know, man. I don't think there's going to be any difference here. Like the people who some people have decided that this is what they want. They want to blame the Democrats when things go wrong. Like those people are the ones that are going to support the majority of the country. The majority of the people already don't like Trump. This, 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 well, look, I'm not here to start arguing polls and all that. My point is just saying that clearly there's always going to be a base of support for him or any leader that's out there um that's just life what i'm saying is though let's say if there's if there's a kind of a a, a major middle of, of of a group 
that there's can't not. sway. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There's, there's not a major middle. Like this is the guy who's in presidency, lost the popular election by millions of votes. But he, I wanted I wanted to mention something on the credibility piece, though. Yeah. Um, like he he has you know with his lack of truthfulness, you raised a good point there. He has the president of the United States historically had credibility. You know, when when like that office conferred credibility to someone, like. It's crazy now that that's not even what we look at for that office. Like nobody's looking, well, very few people, even his supporters are looking to that office and saying, this is where we'll get the real information. Um, like when you, you'll hear, oh, well, I'm fine with him exaggerating, you know, like people that, are, that support him, like I'm fine with him exaggerating or riffing, things like that. And it's like, um, you know, it, it, as a result, because of that, you know, the trust factor, you know, in the credibility factor isn't there anymore. And this plays a role also in how everything else is unfolding under this right now as well, because we just saw recently that there's a gag order been put in place where none of the government officials can talk about this anymore unless it's particularly with things that could make Trump, the the Trump administration look bad unless it's approved by uh, Pence, um, which is actually a very similar response to how China dealt with this. Um, you know, last year, you know, into last year when this thing was first starting and they said, okay, well, you know, nobody can talk about this anymore per penalty of of jailing. But um, so with this gag order now, people don't know where they can get solid information about this. And and I think that's that's a a good observation because we don't know if the government's going to be truthful. And now we we, that all of the information coming out of the government is going to be streamlined. Social media is having a hard time dealing with um, all the information and misinformation, and you were talking about an information pandemic, and I'll, you know, I'll let you expand on that. But what way is up, man? Like, the, we don't. Who can we trust? Where can we get solid information on this? Um, I don't know. We would hope that uh, the government <laughs> and scientists and people that you know might know a little bit more than than people like me and you that aren't into you know pandemics and and, and high level medical stuff, but. Um, no, I think you're right about credibility, and that's why, again, going back to just the joke at the beginning about the the um, illegal voters, you know, coming in to to give the popular vote to his opponent, um, you know, from day remember one the last about, the, we had well, a natural disaster, you know, and he's drawing sharpies no, I know. on that's a, where I was going to go. I was just oh, okay. starting at just remember, but just going back to the first day of 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 you know after he won the inauguration, or sorry, after he was after inaugurated, he was inaugurated yeah. that it was the um, the largest crowd size in history. So, um, you know, it just Which from was day like blatantly one, false, yeah, like blatantly from, false. Yeah. from day one, it was just this, this, this attack on truth and on facts. And, you know, this is what happens. And this is where I always pose the question back. This isn't about me or you, our opinions and all that. It's more about, you know, posing a question of the audience and the kind of people out there is, is this the type of leadership that we want as a country that we're not sure we can trust what comes out of the mouth of the of the president when it's something serious. And I think going back to the comparison with Bush, it's, it's, you know, and I know that was early in Bush's administration. I think a lot of people were a little bit more disappointed with him towards the end, but you know, I, bit, I, I feel like yeah, being generous there, but, mm. but um, you know, at that point, everybody was scared. But one thing we trusted is that Bush was going to figure out what to do about this you know, and go get these guys. So, but going back to the question, you know, the comment you made about, um, about um about the um um uh the the hurricane that happened uh, hurricane dorian you know i was i was uh talking to somebody and i'll i'll leave the firm nameless uh but one of the largest investment firms in the world right now um and i was talking to a portfolio manager on friday just three four days ago and uh, we were having lunch and he was on a high level internal call where they actually had the ceo of the company on the call and they were dealing with how to deal with this market sell-off and, you know, all that. And he said that the CEO basically said, you know, kind of hold, hold tight right now and, and alluded to the fact that we don't really know what's going on because the president said there's 60 cases in the U.S. And he specifically alluded to when the president doctored that, that um, hurricane map with the Sharpie and, and said because of situations like that, we just don't know if when he says 60, there's only six, 60, 600, or 6,000 cases. And that to me was very telling because, and I'm talking, this is one of the largest uh, you know, investment firms in the world. So to hear and that's a, a CEO, dispassionate, that's a dispassionate analysis. Like that yeah. person is not trying to rail against Trump. They're saying, Correct. hey, to cover our own 
you right. know, you know what? Let's we can't trust this information source. The president. Yeah, and so and so <laughs> and the reason why I won't name the firm is because you know I, I didn't ask my friend permission to to, to to say this, so I'm not going to put them on blast. But um, but the idea is that that's that's just. You know, I wonder when a CEO of a large corporate, you know, large uh, Fortune 500 kind of corporate America type company would have said that about a president, any president of the United States in the past when it was something serious like this. Um, and that's right. Well, I'm sure they going have. Back to credibility. Well, I'm sure they have. I mean, like I'm, there's been like when it came to like the, the Jim Crow stuff and like there's been things that the no, government tried saying, to. What I'm saying, Jimmy, but is this, this is, is different. Like, like, yeah, like correct. what I'm saying yeah. is this is different. This is just yeah. this is like SARS or Ebola or this is about health. This isn't about your opinion about, you know, racial stuff or politics or abortion or taxes. I mean, that stuff, I get it. Every CEO might have a, you know, their own opinion versus a president and can, can, can talk stuff. But I, I've never seen in the past where. There's like this kind of just a, a, a big health issue like this that's scary and that can get worse. And people saying, you know, like you said, the credibility of the leadership just is totally absent. And so with that, going back to where we started with this in the fear side, you know, it seems that their only, their, their only card that they can play right now is the, hey, don't look over here. It's not my fault. It's my opponent. It's their fault. They did this. Something about just don't blame me. It's, it's I'm the victim here. And it's the kind of same MO I've seen from this administration, which is this isn't my fault. But I think at this point, and this is where they might be playing it, misreading this moment, like this is a different moment. No one's looking for blame here. This is a virus. <laughs> you know, and I, think I mean, that's, you're, you may be right, but yeah. I mean, I, I have I think that there still is an appetite for blame because now here's the other thing. Um, correct. Like you're correct in saying that, you know, this is their MO, but the truth here may be more scary than, you know, what, what the, the deflection, you know, like the deflection is ridiculous on its face, but the truth, Hey, we don't know what's going on. Uh, we're not really making that much of an effort. You know, we're sending people in to, to treat people without protective gear, like saying from, from the, 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 the white house perspective, like, if if they're doing if they're bumbling around and don't know what's going on, if they get up there and say that, that's not going to help assuage you know like get people not to be afraid. So maybe the truth here is so damning that this is the only thing. Now this is all they would do anyway, most likely. But maybe the truth here, maybe we we don't know because that's why they put that gag order on on you know they had, they had government doctors out there talking saying yeah this could be really bad yada 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 you know we're. We, you know, we, we're, we're not doing this right. We're not doing that right. And they're like, yo, you got to stop talking, which, again, I disagree with. That's that's like communist China. Um, that's that's how they respond to information out there that they want to hear or that they feel will make the the the, the political party in charge look bad. Um, but that type of stuff is it is really the only way that they've shown they're willing to respond when anything happens. You know, like the Dorian thing that that was just mind boggling. Like that was a lie. In, in, in pictures, <laughs> not even in words, you know, like it's like you, you will tell a lie in pictures. Um, and so and, and, but with the information pandemic, like you mentioned, you know, like with social media, um, you know, there was information out there last week that the State Department, you know, U.S. State Department is saying Russia is, is doing covert operations to spread misinformation. Facebook and Twitter are like, what are you talking about? Like, and then eventually they come back and say, OK, we're banning any misinformation on this um, from our platforms. Um, so social media is struggling to deal with it. Traditional media is being shut out by the government. You know, basically the gag order is a, is a war declaration on traditional media saying we're, we're not going to give you guys information. So free and fair press is under assault. Um, so with that information vacuum, I mean, where do you see that playing out here? You know, I, know. I mean, that's. I, I got a mixed feeling about that in these situations because I understand everything you're saying and I don't disagree at all that, you know, there's 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 freedoms of the press that you want to have information and transparency. I just think that generally um, in these type of real um, crisis moments where people are scared and things are a bit unknown, too, because, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that maybe the government is a little bit in the dark about how real this is because, you're right. They're relying also on other countries to tell them stuff like yeah. China, Iran. I heard this morning there's 245 cases there and they're not sure. You know, apparently there's a 5% mortality in Iran where it's 2% everywhere else. And so they're not sure if that's true or not, what's going on. So what I'm saying is that 
there may be, um, it may be more advantageous right now just to say, hey, let's pump the brakes on all these, all these kind of voices leaking out, almost like a volcano spewing out lava, just, just uncon- uncontrollable, and it's coming out in different ways, and, 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 and this might confuse the public worse um, versus well, see, having one narrative. The- but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Look, that's why I'm not saying that I agree with that necessarily. I'm just saying that I could see a reason for that in this kind of period of time. But that overlooks the fact that this will result in information leaking out and you not knowing what to believe. Like if yeah, they look, were just I'm not, I don't I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying yeah. that in these in these instances, I'm sure that when it's all over, one could look back and say it could have been done better this way or that way. And I'm sure both decisions would have their pros and cons. Meaning, if they said, "Let's just let the floodgates of information open and be totally transparent." There, there might be some negative results for that, and by holding information, there could be there. There probably will be negative information. But what we're you know, talking about, Tunde, what we're talking about is whether the doctors that work for the government can speak to the media directly, or whether Pence, you know, it has to go through Pence first. Like yeah. that's not the floodgates of information. That is the experts in the field who have the most information being able to talk to the people. That's it. You know, yeah, like, no, that's look, what we're restricting. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. Sounds like it's bad on his face of you're trying to suppress the truth or something coming out. I'm just saying that in times like this, I'm willing to just say, look, I don't know. This There's obviously a lot of information I don't know that must be going on behind the scenes. And it could be more advantageous to just make sure that the flow of information is streamlined for now. Um, or it may not be. This might be just straight fear and we're just, this is our MO. So, I, that's all I'm saying is that this this well, is. Uh, I mean, no, I understand what you're saying. Remember, I just doctors disagree. have opinions too. Remember, like, so you could have one doctor from the CDC coming out at 2 p.m. on a press conference with an opinion talking a certain way, and another, you know, the Surgeon General coming out at 6 p.m. on a news channel just saying something different because they have a different opinion, and now the public's more confused. Hey, that's all I'd I'm rather saying. have you that. Never know. I'd, I'd rather have that than neither of them being able to talk. You know, it's kind of the thing. Like, so if I'm, I'm do I get to know if there are, you know, a thousand infections in my state or not. Like, it's like it, it, the fear piece, like I said, the truth may be very scary here. And so, but I'd want to know. But either way, I mean, like that's, I understand. I don't think your your mindset is objectively unreasonable. I think that it's it's ineffective for what you're saying the objective would be. You know, you're saying, hey, we want to try to control the flow of information. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying suppression of information doesn't really do that. Like, that's not how it works, particularly in this day and age. So, but I mean, we don't have to belabor that point, though. I just, I did want to raise the fact that, um, you know, like we have this information, like you said, an information pandemic, like where it's like, the, the, we, we don't know what we can believe that's coming through the traditional media, social media is dealing with the same thing. Um, and I mean, clearly it's not just us that see this because as you've you know been been talking about all week, uh, you know, the, the market, the markets, man, like the markets, you sent me that graphic, um, you know, that just showed like how sharp of a drop it's been, which as you, you know, you've mentioned many times, that's a leading indicator. That's people saying or putting their money or, or pulling their money based on what they think is going to happen so clearly the markets don't have a lot of confidence that economic activity is going to be unaffected by this. Is they, am I reading that right? Yes. You know, so, <laughs> so, what right. Do you, so what do you see there? I mean, is this something that the market, is, is there a bottom coming soon or is, uh, that's, I mean, what's if happening? If I was smart enough to predict that, I would not be employed, sir. I'd be fully retired <laughs> right now. So let's not even go there. I'm not going to try and predict a bottom in the stock market ever. Um, well, but no, I mean, but based on not predicting it what's going to happen but predict it based on the human reaction here like is this stew that we have right now of a legitimate of a legitimate problem that can attack you no matter what class you're in no apparently no matter where you are at this point um it can get you and it can knock you down um you can't buy your way out you can't you know like something like that uh, and it, it thrives on human interaction, which a lot of times economic activity requires human interaction. Yeah. Um, something like that with no end in sight still seems to be growing. What, to, what could this thing do to, to the markets, to the, starting with the psychology of investors, of the investor class? Um, you know, like you said, the people who, whose money make up 90% of the market or whatever it would be. Um, that type of uncertainty and that type of threat, like, how how could that play out? You know, like is this something that's unprecedented? You know, in terms of the um, modern market, I would I I don't know if it's unprecedented. I would say that I think that 
in this moment is interesting because this is the first time we've had this kind of fear with this environment of social media and the headlines and the internet and these supercomputers. So I think what's happening is, is, is the fear has gone like, you know, just global in such a short period of time that what it, and, and, and the computer trading and all that is so fast that I think we've seen a record downturn is what we've seen. Um, in one week, the market, uh, in, in really six trading days, let's call it from, from the prior Friday to last Friday, um, the market erased uh, eight months' worth of gains if you look at the Dow Jones Index. Um, I was and that's around. from just, that, that's February 20th, 2020 to February 27th, 2020. Yeah, it's amazing because you got a weekend in there, so you missed a, a couple trading days. But, um, and I, I drew a line on the on a chart of the Dow Jones yesterday from the close on Friday, and it went, the line I drew, straight line, went all the way back to June 6th of 2019. So we're just, it's March 2nd today, so call it eight full months of of gains in the market erased basically in a week. So that that is uh, I think pretty much unprecedented um and that just speaks to like you said a leading indicator of the market people are worried about what's going to happen in the future. So and this is an interesting thing because this is where I feel sometimes that the the perception becomes the reality with the markets where the fear of something bad happen causes people to sell Causes the market bad to happen. Yeah, the, yeah. the market drops like this, which makes people more scared. It kind of confirms the fact that they were nervous. And now, you know, the business community starts also drying up, meaning now, now let's say CEOs and, 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 and big decision makers at that level um, who will move billions of dollars in terms of capital investment and decisions they make of where money's moving globally, which then adds up to trillions when you multiply all the companies and decision makers doing that. They may begin to get scared and think that things are going to be different in the in the near term and start putting their kind of figuratively putting their hands in their pockets and not spending their resources and that then creates a reverberation around the economy so uh, which is negative so um, so it's just interesting that the reaction to this fear could bring about what everyone's been scared of, which is a recession so it's just well, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. One thing, um, like that, I wanted to to expressly st- state here is that it's not like the market is dropping because Amazon came back or some company came back and said yes because of the, what happened with the coronavirus, our profit, uh, our profits from last quarter were off by fifty percent. It's that people believe that's what's going to happen, or you know, like Correct. generally speaking, it's the fear that that because of the virus, the economic activity. And the, the the profitability, sales, you know, revenue of, of companies will be lower the next time we see the numbers, and yep. so they're they're getting a jump on it. So it's that fear, and then that fear, as you said, builds into itself because people sell out of fear, and then other people sell because people are selling, and, and you know, because that that lowers the price, that brings the price down. So the market ends up it's this cycle, this self feeding yep. cycle um, that originated not with. Hey, we did, we lost money last quarter, but with the fear that because of this they may lose money in the in the quarter. But that, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you this, and I know you probably can't answer this, you know, definitively. But to me, you know, as as not a a person who is is deeply into the stock market, this sounds like that all of it was speculative in the first place. Like they all this all of these gains over the last eight months. We're not based on, well, not all of them, but it seems like primarily this is like people saying, oh, well, I think in the next short term, not long term, but in the next short term, I, this is going to, to, to go up. Um, you know, resources are being, being you know, directed to capital primarily. And, and I think that if I put my money here in this, uh, in this market, the capital markets, I can get a, a return on investment soon. Um, you know, like within you know quarters or or years, and not within decades and so forth. So the mass sell-off. Um, again, somebody who's there to say, I think that this company, this stock, is going to be more valuable in twenty years than it is today. That person wouldn't seem to be selling right now. You yeah. know that that they that person would be basically you know buying you know like. Getting out at the worst possible time, selling low, so to speak. You know, like so yeah. that. So, but it's, so it's only the people that to conceivably. Again, this is all me. This is me speculation on this. Not me speculating on the speculation. But it's like those the people that are getting out are the people that wanted short. Ter- that short term interest anyway. 
No, you know, not, not necessarily. This type of stuff really plays into fear. Um, so what happens is, because there's been psychological studies on that, that human beings, when it relates to loss, specifically with investments, have a pain threshold of about 15%. Interesting. And that's, that's when been that's studied when, that yeah, precisely. Been studied, yeah. Behavioral <laughs> wow. finance, man. It's interesting. So that most people, you know, again, there's a bell curve, I'm sure, where yeah. you know, some people will sell at the two percent loss, others, you know, it'll take fifty or the percent or they'll never sell. But then most of the hump of that bell curve, most humans are in that middle ground where it's around fifteen percent. Um and so that's 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 a that's kind of a real stat uh in terms of a, the psychological basis of it. And then there's another um, fact when it comes to behavioral finance where um, the, the, the pain of loss is much more memorable than the pleasure of gains. Mm. So what happens is, and I see this in my, in my wealth management practice just in this last week. I mean, I've got clients that are cool, that are always chill. And by Friday last week, it was like, it's like the rare time I see them kind of like, all right, man, you know, we got to do something here. What's the game plan or get me out or, you know, those kind of things. And, and it's interesting because they're not calling me every week when the market was going up for eight months saying, Hey, Tunde, great job. You know, I'm glad every week I'm seeing the money grow, right? <laughs> because it's kind of like, there's a joke in our industry that everyone's a genius on the way up because, you know, when things are easy, people are generally passive. They're kind of lax about it. And then what happens is a week like last week happens and it just wakes up. It's like getting a bucket of water, cold, you know, cold water thrown on your face when you're sleeping, you know, it just kind of shocks you awake. And it, it goes back to, you know, we've talked about this on other shows, you know, the basic stuff that binds us all as humans together, you know, our fight or flight responses. And what happens is the same kind of chemical secretions in the brain and, 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 the, and the endorphins and, and, and this adrenaline that we developed, you know, in the plains uh, of Africa as, 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 as kind of Bushmen in, in, in early humanity, that when you saw a lion, you, your, your, your body immediately tensed up and got ready to, you know, fight or flight type of thing. It's the same still deep psychological reaction that happens when people see things like the market dropping and their, and their actual account balances dropping. The same, mm. the same response is triggered in the, in the emotional state in the brain. So, it, it creates this, you know, it's like, it's like when, again, going back to the, the hunter-gatherer days, after you killed the, the, the animal and you were eating it, you're kind of pretty chilled out. Things are good. So your mind isn't, isn't in a state of, of like paralysis, like, okay, we got to do something here. Whereas the fight-or-flight response causes that, and, and usually what people will do is sell to relieve the pain. And so... There are people selling just out of fear. I mean, it's uh, because, and also, like you said about the leading indicator status, you know, let's say last Tuesday, that was, you know, my attitude was, yeah, why sell? Because, you know, like you said, this is a short-term thing and da-da-da. Well, maybe looking by Friday, maybe you would have been better off selling on Tuesday because you could still get back in when it's lower. But, of course, there's no crystal ball. So I don't know if tomorrow is going to be lower than today. So you're right. If I'm really looking at 20 years out, Probably holding and having that discipline is the best thing. But if but you were I, to no, really, I get what you're saying, though. But, like, but that's yeah, not, if you were really to believe that the market was still going to go down another 30% from here, then it might be a strategic move just to sell and say, let me buy back when it's even and cheaper. And then get so, back in. Yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of reasons. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's, that's why it is interesting. It's just all, because what you were saying before, it's also true on the way up. I mean, let's look at the year of 2017. That was a year when the market went straight up because of anticipation of the tax cut. Yeah. So it was a leading indicator. People Particularly, felt, what, didn't that change um, the tax on capital gains? Um, not so much capital gains, but corporate income tax structure. Uh, oh, okay. Um, which helped earnings and all that. So bottom line is it was a leading indicator that there was an assumption that things would be even better for corporations, profits, and therefore, you know, share prices appreciating. So money kept plowing into the market from the start of 2017 in anticipation of something positive for companies and for stocks and blah, blah, blah. So now it's the opposite, right? Money is pouring out of the market and the market is kind of crashing in a sense because there is a, 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 a sentiment that something bad is going to be coming down the road for the market with the slowdown in business activity caused by 
the coronavirus. And the next area of fear that I hope, you know, doesn't happen, but it looks like it may happen, uh, is that the Federal Reserve, which I think has been much more politicized uh, in recent times than it was meant to be when it was founded, um, looks like they may cut interest rates as a way to try and calm down the stock market, um, which I, like I say, I hope it doesn't happen because that's a monetary um, policy that um, uh, is really designed to stimulate the economy when there's a lack of demand uh, through a recession or caused by a recession when this is uh, really a supply chain risk. And I don't, I'll stop here. I don't want to get too kind of wonky with the economics of it. But, you know, again, I think when I look at fear, everybody's scared right now and everybody's doing kind of at that top level. And even the Federal Reserve, they're trying to do things to appease, you know, the markets and everyone's kind of looks like they're scared for their job in a sense. <laughs> and I'm not sure if the best, uh, the best decisions will be made when everybody, even our leaders, are running scared. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, that's interesting. I mean, and you, you, the interesting uh, piece you on the supply side piece that, or the supply chain piece that the coronavirus raises fears on, I've seen some where also people are worried about the demand side also, uh, particularly with service industries and with travel and, and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, it, it's the pressures. I think what's very important to keep in mind, though, is that the pressures can be on both sides here, which a lot of times they're not. You know, a lot of times you are more worried about supply or more worried about demand. But this is one of those that kind of is hitting everybody. Like, I, I don't want to term it in this way, but it's like the perfect storm, so to speak, almost of disruption. Like, again, this does not have borders. This isn't a localized conflict where people in this region of the country or that region of the, or not country, of the world may have a disruption in demand or in supply. This is, there's no borders, there's no class that this thing affects more than others. Like anybody, if you're a human being, you can get this thing. And that means all of us share a certain number of, or a certain amount of risk. And to your point from earlier, hopefully that would spur our leadership to view this as more of a collective problem and something we can try to address together and not simply look to, to say, okay, well, let's skate. Let's look for who's going to be the fall guy, who's going to be the scapegoat, so that if things go poorly, I can say, hey, I told you all along it was these people's fault, and you know you should hate them because everything that goes wrong is their fault, and everything that goes right is my fault. And but to, to circle it back, I mean, that's the biggest concern now is that leadership can make a difference in dealing with these types of things. Like we're, the the examples throughout history are, you know, they, like they're all well, the examples are all throughout history where poor leadership can guide you through or, or can, can make problems worse or not allow you to avoid the worst of problems, whereas good leadership can help you avoid the worst of problems. And so we hope that now our, we're not supposed to be reliant on one person. You know, like our government is specifically set up to not just need or have one person and their whims, you know, can basically sink or make us sink or make us swim. So hopefully th those things, those separation of powers and, and <clears throat> three-part government, excuse me, three branches of government that are, you know, that, that each have their own powers can hold up here so that if one of our branches of government is just totally obsessed with themselves and how they look, the others can still pick up the slack some, hopefully. Now, yeah. granted, you know, the executive branch, you know, it is, is more of the doing branch, you know, so that we do need them. But and again, there, but there's more the, to the executive branch than just one person, hopefully, you know, at least they're supposed to be. Um, and so we hope that the response, because, again, it's all of us at stake. It's not this isn't an issue of, oh, well, just it's just the people, you know, at the border of of U.S. and Mexico or just the people at the border of, uh, you know, where, wherever, you know, China and Pakistan or it's not, excuse me, India and Pakistan. Uh, like this is something that affects us all, you know, and, and you know, like I, we hope that we can see a response that considers us all and is not just, oh, well, this person, that person. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. And I think that's what makes these type of issues different is that you're right. I think people viscerally understand that anything health related is is something that, you know, affects us all. And like, you're right. I mean, this this comes down to, you know, are, does a leader look at this and say, we're all in this together type of attitude or do they use this as a time to say, you know, still kind of have the attitude of it's them over there or this is only happening because they did or didn't do this or, or something like this. So 
you know, again, it goes back to not my opinion, but, you know, we got to ask ourselves as Americans just, just um, you know, how do we want to be governed and is this comfortable? And so. And that's what know, I was saying earlier. I think that there are. I think there are a large number of people that, that are fine with this, you know, and so we just hope. And now, not when I said that, I don't think there's a large number of the middle that are going back and forth. I, it, I was more objecting to you saying or large. Like, I think there are people that, that hopefully are paying attention that can say, do we want to live in a state where, you know, just demagoguery is, is the way to go? And, yep. you know, whatever issue comes up, got to blame it on the other, got to blame it on the them. It's never us. Or if we're going to, to try to, to solve problems soberly, and, you know, use the, the best and the brightest, you know, in their fields to come together and say, what do we need to do here? Um, you know, like it, this is to me, this is akin to this is it's, it's, it's an opposite type of implementation. But, you know, if Kennedy gets up in, in 1960 and says, hey, you know, you know, the Republicans are stopping us from going to the moon. And it's like, like no, that'd be ridiculous. Like, let's yeah. let's just get every like at the best. We're just going to the moon as Americans. It's not about parties. You know, it's not about the us and the them. It's it's uh, it's, it's we. We, you know, are going to the moon before the end of the decade. And it, like, that's how we accomplish things, you know, is, yeah. is by, by the we, not by trying to separate out us and them. And you, you hope that there are people in society that, that do have an appetite for the us and the them. And hopefully the rest of us, the ones that want to look at things collectively and solve problems collectively can outnumber them and outvote them. Um, and ultimately that's our, that's our job in, in, a, in a system in our republic where we have democratically elected officials. So, you know, from there, I think we can uh, close up our discussion for today. Cool. Uh, programming, programming note, uh, we, you know, this will be a, our release today. We'll be the only release this week. We'll see you again next week. Um, you know, but everybody stay safe. Uh, you know, whatever precautions you can take, whatever solid information you can get as far as taking those precautions, definitely do that. Keep you and your family safe. Um, and so until next time, I'm James Keyes. I'm Tundel Golana. All right. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe, rate, review. Tell us what you think. 